I think in this conversation of like, what does it look like um, walking with Gen Z? One of the one of the most impactful conversations that you can have with somebody that you are mentoring is this conversation of I see this in you. They're looking so much for affirmation and and encouragement and approval and all these things. Mm-hmm. Their mind is blown and it's like it's like water being poured out in a desert because yes, they they yeah. have not heard that. missionary life. What is it? And who does this kind of thing? Welcome to the Inlander podcast, where we explore the missionary journey through interviews with people serving across a spectrum of places and ministries. Men and women who have left good jobs, sold homes, and said goodbye to the comfortable and familiar, all in answer to Christ's call to share his love among the nations. From remote desert outposts to the bustling streets of some of Africa's busiest urban centers, we look at what it means to pack up a life and follow Christ to the ends of the earth. Well, welcome, Billy, to the Inlander podcast. I'm so glad to have you today. I'm glad that we're chatting. We get to introduce you as our new Southwest Mobilizer, uh, just so people can get to know you, your region, and your story, but also to talk about a subject that is really important to me and to you, which is Gen Z, Uh, loving them well, walking with them in the church, but also in the mission realm we kind of live in. Uh, so would just love for you to introduce yourself and share your story with us and how you even got here to AIM. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for having me. It's it's an honor and a privilege, and I've been excited to talk to you. Um, so my story has kind of led me all over the place. Um, I don't know how many states I've lived in, uh, but when I was <laughs> little, my parents, my parents were missionaries in Indonesia. Um, so we spent several years there. We've lived in California. North Carolina, New York. Um, and after I got married, we moved to Washington. Anyway, we've been all over the place. I'm currently living in Colorado. We're in Erie, Colorado, which is a small town right outside Boulder. It's like 15 minutes outside Boulder and 30 minutes north of Denver. Um, and it is currently snowing right now. But nice. uh, I've got three kids, a wife. Uh, my wife is a third grade teacher. She is amazing. Um, My three kids are okay. (laughs) They're a lot of fun, but they are a lot of work. Yes. Uh, We've got a four-year-old, an eight-year-old, and a 10-year-old. So um, life is very busy, and we are running around from sporting event to sporting event. But 
after we got married, uh, my wife and I really, really growing up, let's back up growing up. I have been really passionate about student ministry, um, and really passion, passionate about missions and, honestly, growing up, all the missionaries that I knew were a little bit weird and a little bit maladjusted. And my youth pastor was like the coolest guy I knew. Um, So (laughs) pretty shallow, but I decided to go down the student ministry route. Um, So graduated, got married, uh, and immediately we took a job with Youth Dynamics, which is a lot like, Mm -hmm. it's a parachurch ministry, uh, really trying to find creative ways into relationship with teenagers um, and then share the gospel with them. So that that ministry was very much like Young Life, but it had an adventure sport bend to it. Mm. So we would take kids rock climbing and rafting and hiking and and really uh, just try to get them out of their comfort zone and and have real conversations with them, share our stories, share our life, and and walk with them as they process a lot of the big questions in life. Um, and it was amazing. It was a really good period. From there, my wife and I just felt like this unshakable call um, to Indonesia. And mm-hmm. so we went to Indonesia. My wife started teaching while we were there. And my role really had three three kind of pieces to it. It was hosting short-term teams and plugging them in with long-term ministry. Um, we started a soccer ministry uh, with the local kids which was unbelievable because I wasn't a very good soccer player (laughs) and I could barely speak the language and it was just totally, totally (laughs) felt like a fish out of water and like, God, what are you doing? Um, But we just, we just tried to show up and love the kids and have fun and, and build relationships, really build the relationships was, it's kind of a thread that goes all the way through my ministry experience. Um, But we, we started the soccer ministry and it grew like crazy. And like I said, I felt like a fish out of water, but, and totally overwhelmed and totally in over my head, but God brought amazing world-class coaches to join the team. Um, they were coming through the language school there in, in the city that we were at. Mm. And like one, one guy played professionally in Brazil with Ronaldo um, one guy was from Mexico. Like it was, un- it was unbelievable. You're like, what's uh, happening? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. And it was an amazing season. Our oldest Brooklyn, the 10 year old was born while we were in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, it, it was, it felt like the dream. It felt like, God, this is so good. God, mm-hmm. you've answered so many prayers in this and <sighs> seemingly out of nowhere, uh, the, the team lead, they, they started going through a really, really hard season. Um, and ultimately that, that hard season ended up leading them home. And we kind of felt like God closed the door for us to stay there. Um, there was a lot of prayer, lots of conversation. Uh, but ultimately we felt like it was time, time to come home. And it was, it was a season where there was a lot of disappointment, Mm -hmm. uh, just because like we imagined us, we imagined ourselves being there for a really long time. Um, but it just felt like God was, God was leading us to a new spot. So from there, we ended up in San Jose, California at a small church. I was the youth pastor. Uh, and really that's when, I don't know, like, I, I felt like God really 
did a lot inside me because I was I was wrestling because I felt mm-hmm. this call and this passion for unreached people groups. So I think in that season of just wrestling and and trying to figure out like what is my role to play in reaching unreached people groups and mm-hmm. and sending people overseas and and all that and I think somewhere along in that journey I realized that my job was not necessarily to go but it was to walk with these teenagers and instill in them the same the same passion and the same I don't know, the same desire to reach people and, mm-hmm. and to leverage their gifting and their calling and, and their passions and, and their love for Jesus and really just send them into ministry, send them mm-hmm. in, whether they're, they're going to be doctors or lawyers or teachers or whatever it is, help them dream about what does it look like for me to play a role in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that season really, it, it led me to, a comment that I've remembered from years and years, years ago when I was in youth group, when my youth pastor said the mark of a healthy student ministry is not how many students you bring in, it's how many you send out. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that shook me and it stuck with me. I feel like it's a combination of both, right? Like, <laughs> like let's yeah. merge those two things. Let's see how many students we can reach. Uh, but then let's also let's design our ministries and let's design everything that we do so that we are walking with the next generation, giving them a picture of what it looks like to leverage everything that God has given them for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. So all that to say, I, I have spent now, uh, n- we were there for five years in San Jose, California. Uh, then we moved to uh, this small town right outside Boulder, Colorado. And I was working at a church as a youth pastor there for five years. So altogether now I've spent about 14 years in student ministry. Um, and honestly, like I transitioned out um, in May, um, really in a step of faith, um, asking God, like, I have this passion and this desire to walk with people and help them figure out what, what role they can play in the kingdom. Um, and I feel like that's 5% of what I get to do as a youth pastor, but I really want it to be 95% of what I do. Um, and really stepped out in faith and ended up uh, through some crazy coincidences or not coincidences, but crazy miracles of God leading, leading me to African land mission as a Southwest mobilizer. And it just has felt like such a perfect fit with the things that God has given me and, and the, the journey that we have been on with God. Um, and now I get to, now that's what I get to do. I get to cast a vision and walk with people and help them discern mm. whether, whether or not God is calling them overseas and, and what role they can play and all that. Mm. And I could not be more excited about, about my new role and about mm. working with AIM. Mm, that's awesome. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, that's your, my question of like, what's your story? Yeah. No, you did well. You did well. Sometimes it's a lot we could say about our whole story. Something that interests me is like, it seems like you have such an innate uh, vision for walking with people. And I feel like I've seen people look at youth ministries in a very programmed way. Like, here's what we need to do. This is the environment we need to create, which like, those are important factors, but I'd be curious to see if you can articulate this even, but like, where did you 
learn and become passionate about real change happens in relationships. Like you said, relationships, relationships, and cultivating those with young people is where you really saw change. So like where in your story did you kind of pick up on that and just like a real aspect of discipleship? Like that's what this is. It's not a program. Yeah. Yeah, Like where did that come into play? I think it was really modeled to me through my youth pastor and through leaders that he brought on to the team. But like thinking about, thinking back about like the things that I did in student ministry and kind of that developmental track that I was on, I can't remember one sermon that my youth pastor (laughs) gave. Like that's just, it's just real. Like I can't remember. And I feel like oftentimes like that gets the focus of youth pastors. That gets the focus of ministries. It's like, what is this 30 minute spiel in student mm. ministry? It's probably 10 to 15 minutes, but what is, what is this message that I'm trying to share? Um, but what, what stuck with me was, was the times outside of the program where my youth pastor would take me out to coffee and just process life. Um, mm. Those moments where I felt cared for mm. and I felt like I could ask the questions that you can't ask normally. Like there's mm. they're sort of, there's sort of this idea, like there's, there's bad questions to ask in a church, Mm. (laughs) but, but we need to ask them, right? Like we need to be able to process them because we all have them. Um, And it was in that process of, of really just kind of being cared for myself um, where I realized like that, those are the moments that, that really count. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like, I'm not saying throw away the, the program, but I think you need to build a program that leans heavily on relationship. What does it look like um, for for you to sit down with and really care for and really talk through life and the questions and and God and and the role that we can play? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love that you had that. That's so beautiful. I like as a parent myself, I think about us being that for our kids, but I know so often, especially like in teenage years, it's so helpful to have another voice, like a youth pastor role model that you can sit down and process those questions with that feels safe in the church. That's just, that's huge. I love that. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) I'm I'm really passionate about, um, like I I just see so much hope in the next generation, Mm -hmm. like this emerging generation. Um, and sometimes I'm sitting in a, in a circle of pastors or, or family members at Christmas, there was a conversation where somebody in the family was like almost coming down pretty hard on the next generation, like saying they're, they're always on their phones and they're always, they're so distracted and they're never really involved and they have no resiliency and just all these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm, like I'm squirming in my seat yes, because yeah. I know I know that some of those things are true, right? Like mm. I know that they're on their phones, they're they're on screens more than any other generation in the past. But I really do believe that God is doing something in the next generation that the church needs. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the church is behind in coming alongside the next generation and discipling them and raising them up because I really do believe that the next generation has the power to fulfill the great commission. And Mm -hmm. I really do believe that the next generation has the power to change the world. And a lot of these things, like, like they're just innate in who they are. Uh, And maybe it's because of some of the things that they've gone through in their life, Mm 
but just a couple stats like uh, this report came out recently it said 83% of gen z says that they would love to have a mentor mm-hmm. and then contrasted with that 79% this this is a report from barna 79% of pastors are saying that churches are not rising up to the responsibilities of mentoring and guiding the next generation. So here's this like mm-hmm. opposing stat that Gen Z is hungry for discipleship and hungry for a relationship and hungry for mentorship. But then there's the church leaders that are saying, we're not, we're not meeting that need. We're not coming alongside them the way we need to. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of reasons for that, but there's a huge opportunity for the church and there's a huge opportunity for anybody that is passionate about about missions mobilization and and really reaching unreached people groups because they're hungry for mentorship and they're hungry for relationships so if we can come alongside them and walk with them and help them discern what what is the mission field what what do i have to offer um mm-hmm. who knows what god could do through that yeah. Yeah. Even talking. Yeah. It seems like every generation above the one that's upcoming looks down on the one that's coming. And we've I got think it all figured out, right? <laughs> we've got, yeah. Right. Like we don't have our own issues. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like thinking about like, I, I picture, you know, this younger generation on their phones, for example, like that remark. And it's like, maybe that's cause we're not there. Like we're not there. Like we could be, and we should yeah. be like, you're pointing out through the study we're not showing up. And so in this bigger conversation about them, people often focus on, yeah, what's going on in our culture, almost in a fear way, like, oh man, here's what's going on in secular culture. How do we protect our kids from it? How do we steer them away from the phones? It's like this negative sense rather than, hey, how do we uh, see them? Who are they? How has God crafted them? Which is what it sounds like you've done. Can you flesh out what you mean when you say like they're like the dreamers and like, how did you come to that conclusion and like your research and observations of them? Yeah. So I, I have been calling them the dreamer generation. Um, And I think that that kind of comes from just this, this innate passion that they have to change the world. It, Mm. it's something that almost every Gen Z student that I've had the privilege to walk with and and talk with, um, they have this passion to make their mark on the world. Um, Mm -hmm. They have this desire to influence the world. And I think oftentimes that passion and that desire gets twisted um, Mm -hmm. culture. So they're, they're turning to other places to be able to do this. So, so they're turning into influencers on Mm -hmm. media and, and they're chasing after this desire in all the wrong ways and not necessarily the wrong ways, but, but it is not under the authority um, of scripture and under the authority of God. Right. So, so what does it look like for us to take that passion and take that dream of that they have inside them to change the world and call them back to what they're really, to what it is that God is stirring inside them. I think that that is something that, that God places in every single one of us in different shapes and different forms is this, Mm -hmm. this longing to influence the world, this longing to make the world a better place, right? That's something Mm -hmm. that, that, that he has given us in his redemptive plan of all creation. He has, he's given us this desire to influence the world and make the world a better place. So Mm -hmm. as the older generation, 
we have a responsibility and we have the opportunity to be able to come alongside them and and help them figure out, help them dis, help disciple them into world changers uh, for Christ, mm-hmm. for the kingdom. And honestly, in in all of my years in student ministry, like I've been trying to figure out what what is a process that that really makes sense and mm-hmm. and is shareable. So we started doing this several years ago in in our student ministry team, um, but. And I wrestle a little bit with acronyms because I always feel like they're cheesy and they're insufficient. But here's the acronym. D, devote your time to knowing and listening to Gen Z. Mm -hmm. R, recognize and understand what God is stirring inside them. E, envision the unique roles they can play in advancing the kingdom. A, affirm their giftings and talents. M, mentor and coach them towards personal and spiritual growth. E, empower them by giving them a platform to lead and remove obstacles. R, rejoice in their growth and the impact that they make. So this is, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a philosophy of ministry or a philosophy of discipleship. It's, it's this kind of pipeline for anybody, whether you're a pastor or you're a lay leader or you're a Jesus lover, whatever it is, mm-hmm. this is what it looks like for you to come alongside the next generation and really walk them down a road of development and growth and mentorship, building relationship, and really all the way through it, you're casting vision for what they could do as mm-hmm. as they share your, their story, as they share the things that they're excited about, you begin kind of getting a picture of what God is doing inside them. Um, mm-hmm. You get a picture of their giftings and their passions and all of that. And then you can help them kind of reshape those things into, into opportunities and in, into roles that they could play in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I just have to know, did you memorize that or did you read it? I read it. <laughs> <laughs> I would be very, very, very impressed if you have your acronym fully memorized because that's also not a short acronym. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've got it on um, my screen. <laughs> that's awesome. I think about a lot of our listeners that run small churches and are thinking, okay, love the philosophy. Practically, do you have ideas or suggestions for them? and how they might actually implement, yeah, what does it look like to set up this kind of dreamer? Uh, I Let's walk with them. Let's meet with them. How do we equip our adults who are maybe sitting here thinking, that sounds great. I barely know how to do that for myself. How do I you know, walk with people in seeing these things and pointing them out? Yeah, like what advice would you have for maybe church leaders who want to implement this? Honestly, I think it's, I think this kind of thing is easier at smaller churches than it is at bigger churches because relationships mm-hmm. happen more organically. Mm. Um, in large churches, it's, it's easy to show up on a Sunday and then disappear and never have a conversation with somebody and never be, never be really seen. Mm-hmm. Um, so in smaller churches, I feel like this kind of thing happens more organically where mm-hmm. you do recognize the new people. It is easier to engage. It is easier to have conversations. So I think that I think the most important thing is is just instilling this culture, this slow relational discipleship, instilling this culture 
into the DNA of your church. And mm. I'm not talking about like several key people. If we begin giving every single person in our churches this framework, and I believe that this framework is very much modeled by the life and ministry of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we can begin instilling that into their culture, into what it means for them to be a Jesus follower and a disciple maker, mm-hmm. I think that the the ceiling is who knows what it's going to be. I think that God could literally change the world through just this simple callback to slow relational discipleship rather than everything having to be a program and an event and having to be big. Mm-hmm. I, I had a meeting with a pastor just a couple of weeks ago in Southern California and it was amazing. He's doing amazing things. But the one thing, the one thing that he said at the end, like the takeaway, he was like, Billy, as long as you keep it small, you're going to be okay. Mm. And I really think like we can have mm. this culture of trying to make it big and trying to make it feel good. But if mm. we don't keep it small and there's no relational equity, there's no relationship, we're going to be missing the mark. We have to keep it small because the church depends on relational discipleship and mm-hmm. relational development and, and all of these things. And the next generation is crying out for it. They're longing for it. They're the most connected generation mm-hmm. ever to live, but let, yet they're the most relationally shallow. They just don't mm-hmm. have the relationships that they need. And they're designed by God for relationship to be known and it's just not, it's not being met by the church. Yeah. And I don't even think that this is just the next generation. I think it's something mm-hmm. that our culture is trying to figure out what to do with right now, right? Like mm-hmm. the loneliness epidemic is raging right now. I, when I sit down with people, no matter what age they are, the thing that I hear most is that I'm lonely and I feel mm-hmm. isolated. So what does it look like for the church to begin meeting that need? And begin leaning into that spot, that 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 hunger that people have for relationship and community. Mm-hmm. That should be found in the church. Like it should just be mm-hmm. in, naturally <laughs> in the DNA yeah. of the church. But somewhere along the way, I think I think we've drifted in what it really means to be the church. Yeah, yeah. On another podcast episode, I talked with Susan who's our counselor on staff. And we were talking about also that the younger generation is, you know, the most anxious mm-hmm. and is struggling with anxiety and depression, maybe more than we've known previous generations too. And so I hear you talking about, you know, they want to be mentored. Yet I also know a lot of young people who are very afraid mm-hmm. to enter into that because mm-hmm. as much as they want to be seen, they are afraid to be seen And it does feel easier maybe to draw back into, let me just get advice from TikTok or whatever. And so I just would love to even get a little more practical with that nuance of, hey, we see you, we love you. And they're like, oh, I want that so desperately, but I'm not sure. I'm scared. I have anxiety. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Like how do we hold that tension well in trying to walk with the younger generation? It all hinges on our ability to build trust. And I think in order to build trust with the next generation and in that role, we are the disciplers, right? We are the leaders. Mm -hmm. And as the leader, we need to be the one to, to make it a safe place. And we need to be the one that kind of sets the table for them to, to open up. And for me, 
the best way that I have done that, or I think the most effective way that I've gone about that is simply by kind of cracking open my life, the struggles, mm-hmm. the questions, the hard moments, the good moments, and just sharing that with them. I don't feel like when I go into those conversations, the most important thing is for me to have it all together and have an answer. I think there's oftentimes an, uh, a pressure that you feel like you have to have the answer in those conversations. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's better not to have the answer because you can kind of come alongside them. So one thing, every, every student in my student ministry always gives me a hard time because I always shared about like the time that I failed photography in high school. <laughs> and they're like, what? How did you, how did you fail photography? That's in high so school? funny. But, but it, it, it was, it was one of the, immediately it lowers the bar of what it looks like for them to enter into conversation. I share about depression mm. that I've gone through. I, I share about suicidal thoughts that I've gone to and not, not like I'm bragging about the things that I've gone through. It's more mm-hmm. those, those moments. I've seen God come through in those moments, right? Mm. Uh, it reminds me of Paul when he says, I'm going to boast of my weaknesses because in my weakness, God's power and strength is made complete. So it's like mm. being on the other side of those hard moments of those dark times, the dark nights of the soul, like we can give hope into students, into, into young people that are currently going through those seasons um, and walk with them. And as we begin to share those things, you'll be amazed at how the walls come down and how they begin sharing, sharing those things because they know it's a safe place. Mm -hmm. They know that you are an ally Mm -hmm. rather than this pastor or preacher that has your life all together. That's never like a figure. Yeah. Yeah. That's never gone through those dark moments. Mm. Yeah. I think that's even helpful for all of them who are on TikTok and stuff who are seeing the highlight reels, right. Mm. Of, here are these yep. people, look at how well-dressed their family is and all the things they do together. And they've got 1.5 million followers and I want to be like that. And then if we actually were those people, I'm definitely not someone that has 1.5 million followers, but like if, you know, they actually peeled back that layer and looked into their life, yep. they would see that they are also a normal human being who maybe snaps at their kids and makes mistakes and there isn't this like attainable figure that they're seeing online either. And that's safer rather than, Oh man, look at all these people who have it together. I want to be like them. I don't know how to get there, but also I can't share my mess with them because look at them. Like they've really got it together. Um, There's this desire. There's this desire to be seen and there's this desire to be known, but there's also this temptation to, to pretend like you have it all together. Mm-hmm. So I think as we come alongside the next generation and share with them that we don't have it all together, immediately that kind of sets the table for them to to go there into those mm-hmm. places. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like we definitely have to do that and build that trust, of course. I mean, we all can feel that with one another in our own community. Like we should be building trust with our, not just people we are discipling, uh, but even our friends building trust. Um that's one, that's one other thing that I'm really, really passionate about is I think oftentimes like we're trying to figure out how to do evangelism and how to reach mm-hmm. our neighbors. And honestly, I think, I think the greatest opportunity for evangelism right now is being a good friend. 
Like mm-hmm. just being a good friend, inviting people into our into our dining rooms, into our living rooms, and just doing life with one another and mm-hmm. sharing life with one another. And as you do that, as you build trust and relationship with people, it's amazing if you're in relationship with people long enough, eventually there's going to be an opportunity for you to share hope and share the reason mm-hmm. for your hope. And that reason is Jesus, right? So, mm-hmm. so what does it look like to be a really good friend? Um, and I think, I think there's been this shift over the last 30 to 40 years in the church um, of evangelism has turned more into an invitation to my church mm-hmm. rather than an invitation into my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think, I think we need to go back to relational, slow discipleship. I think that that applies to mobilization. I think it applies to evangelism. I think it's, I think it's the greatest need of the church right now. Yeah, for sure, man. My mind's just going in a million directions because <laughs> I'm, I'm so passionate about people feeling seen and yeah. building that trust. Because something I think that we don't like to admit as like the older generation investing in the younger generation is we can be really corrective. Like we are so desperate for them to know the truth that we forsake building trust and just loving them and trusting that. Like, for example, let's say like you have someone in your life that is younger than you that you're mentoring and they're about to go to college or something. Mm -hmm. And you're like, I might have one year with this person. And I feel like we put pressure on ourselves. Like, well, I really got to see them change or whatever. And it's like, Mm -hmm. what does it look like for us to trust God with the call to love them and walk alongside them and build trust without possibly even seeing like a lot of quote unquote fruit from those interactions. Uh, Cause that's something I've wrestled with personally in mentoring is like, okay, I just have to be faithful to love like Jesus right now. And as I see opportunities and feel the nudge from the Holy spirit to speak truth, to weigh maybe what they are thinking or seeing or their lack of scriptural like context with what they're believing, you know, whatever, like that has to be a Holy spirit thing, not a, Oh my gosh, how much can I make sure they get corrected in before they go to college or whatever? I mean, would you agree? Like that's, there's like tensions like that, that we need to hold. And are there any others that come to your mind that would be helpful for our listeners? Just because I, I feel like it's nitty and gritty sometimes of like, you're yeah. sitting there having coffee, they say something off the cuff and you're like, do I say something right now or no? Like even those, yeah. yeah. For sure. I think a lot of times like you can lead with questions. I think that you can guide and mentor with really good questions of like, why do you think you're feeling anxious right now? What is mm-hmm. contributing to that? How can you find peace in this moment? Where where do you go to find peace? And as they begin to answer those questions, that gives you opportunity to, to walk with them through that moment rather than coming in and saying, of course you're feeling anxious. You're anxious because you're on your phone 90% of the time where you're seeing perfection 85% of the time. Like, of, of course, and, and you're not getting the things that you really need to get done. So it's just piling up. And yes. like, like... Like if we come in with that approach, I think they're immediately going to shut down, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to shut down because they, I think, yeah, they won't respond well to that. It won't be well received. But if you can ask specific questions, like as they're going through it, and I think ask those questions with humility 
and care mm-hmm. and love rather than a teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think a lot of times it's, it's more well-received. Um, yeah. 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 I think the other thing that like my mind went to as you were sharing was um, just this idea, like there's this pressure to get it done, <laughs> mm-hmm. to get them to a certain spot before they graduate. Relationships don't need to end, right? Mm-hmm. So you can continue that relationship, continue that discipleship and that mentorship, even once they go to college. Like you can check in. It speaks so much to students. After three months, you haven't seen them. You send a text message and say, hey, I was praying for you this morning. How are you doing? How's life? What mm. what specifically can I be praying for? Mm. Uh, just all of that. And that gives you more opportunity to continue that relationship. It communicates love and it gives you an opportunity to, to lead in those contexts. Uh, and like right now I've got... 13 students that I've been tracking with who have come through my ministry. Um, and I'm still reaching out to them periodically, just checking in when I'm in their area. I say, Hey, let's, let's go grab lunch. Or when they come home from college, I say, Hey, let's make sure to grab lunch while you're home. And it just continues that relationship. And then like opportunities arise when, when they're coming up to like big decisions, like one, Mm -hmm. one of my one of my disciples. I don't know. (laughs) One of the students right now is trying to figure out if they need to transfer. And Mm. we talked about it at Christmas and it's this ongoing thing. So yesterday I texted her and said, Hey, what's going on with that? Where are you at? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you thinking? And it just gives this opportunity for, for more connection and more impact, even though like I, I had her in my youth group for, for just a couple of years, right? So, yeah. um, well, it's really giving like how Jesus walks with us. Yeah. Like I think about Gentle and Lowly, the book that like raised across all kinds of different circles, just in how, you know, like in walking with them in that way, that's kind of like there aren't expectations, but you will yeah. always be there is yeah. so like Jesus, like, like he's, waiting for us always to turn our face to him, but his mm. face is always on us, you know? Yep. And it's like, and he's man, in constant pursuit. Yeah. Yeah. Constant pursuit of our hearts and minds. And yeah. yeah, I think, I think in this conversation of like, what does it look like um, walking with Gen Z? One of the, one of the most impactful conversations that you can have with somebody that you are mentoring is this conversation of, I see this in you. Mm-hmm. It, they're looking so much for affirmation and and encouragement and approval and all these things. Mm-hmm. And when you, as somebody that they look up to and somebody that they respect comes up to them, whether it's at coffee or lunch or whatever, and says, Hey, I see this in you. You are really good at X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It, you could potentially use that for the kingdom. It's like their mind is blown and it's like, <laughs> it's like water being poured out in a desert because yes, they, they yeah. have not heard that. Hmm. They have not, not heard those words of affirmation. Everything that they hear is your generation is the worst, right? Like, so, so yes. coming alongside them, knowing them enough to be able to see the spots where they where they are gifted and God has wired them. And then being able to affirm that and speak that, speak life into that. Mm-hmm. That is when I have seen the most transformation and the most of like, Oh, yeah, like, like I could do that. And then it's like their world is blown and they start dreaming about the kingdom in- impact that they could have. Mm-hmm. And I think as like in the context of this conversation as like mobilizers 
dreaming for the unreached people groups. Like if our churches began coming alongside the next generation and saying, Hey, I see this in you. This is how, this is, this is what I see in you. And this is the role. This is how you could use that around the world. Mm-hmm. I think that it would completely change the narrative that we're seeing in, in reaching the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. And, Cause it, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. Okay. Me go ahead. Okay. <laughs> no, I was no, going to no, say, <laughs> no, you, that's so funny. Okay. Um, yeah. I was going to say, because culturally, like we've seen when Christian culture was like a dominant culture historically, you know, like missions, like there were a lot of missionaries going, whatever, even up to like when Urbana started, it was like kind of like a no brainer, like, oh, that's a cool thing to do for God. Like I could do that. But I like also feel like they are facing colonialism. All missions is colonialism and like all of these Mm -hmm. things. And what is the Great Commission? We don't know. And it's like this conversation we're having about walking with them helps the, them get to that point where the people who went to the first few Urbanas were already at, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, this is a part of God's heart. But like, yeah. they, tr- I, I feel like they truly don't know. Or it's very confusing because of what they're seeing on the internet about, you know, missions is bad. It's all colonialism, yeah. all that stuff. Like, there's just confusion to like demystify yeah. as we walk with them. It seems like we might see a boom because they want to change the world. And that's kind of yeah. where our role is to walk with them and trust the Lord with the results instead of come in and be like, hey, come be a missionary. Like we need to be in walking with them far before that is kind yes. of the big picture yeah. we're trying to get across here. So something that I have found fascinating um, in some of this is like missions mobilization is not the only area that is struggling mm. um, to recruit and to find new people. Um, recently articles have been coming out that like the U S military branches are struggling in mobilization and recruiting um, to like the point where the Navy just, I just saw the article like two weeks ago, the Navy just lowered the standard of what it looks of, of like the admittance requirements for people coming into the Navy. So you no longer have to have, uh, you'd no longer have to be a high school graduate in order to enlist. Oh, into wow. The Navy. Oh, uh, wow. The U S army is trying different strategies of engaging younger, um, and walking with high school students sooner so that they can get them to a point where they're ready to enlist when they graduate. So in, in that scope, it's a similar call, right? Like, like, mm-hmm. like the call to enlist into the army is similar to the call to go to the nations, right? Like mm-hmm. you're giving up your life, you're giving up your dreams for this greater, greater purpose. Um, so like, what does it look like for the church to begin walking alongside these students younger and casting a vision for the nations and helping them figure out the role that they can play for the nations and, and figure out what they need to develop? Like, in this mentorship process, we need to be leaning in on what does it look like to have a daily life in the scripture? Mm. Um, and, and what does it look like to develop your biblical literacy and just all of these things um, so that when students graduate, they have a vision, vision of where they want to go. They have a vision of what their gifts are and the role they can play. And they have begun building um, kind of the core foundation to being a missionary overseas. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's almost like, 
I'm picturing like pastors at a church or church staff looking at their congregation and young people and being like, we have a problem. They're not participating. They're not going. And it's like, no, we have a problem. We're not discipling them. Like they're not being discipled. And so, you know, we're talking about like that church context, but uh, even for our world, like as you've, you've been a part of the mission world a long time, but even in coming to join like a staff regarding like my job is to, you know, mobilize missionaries uh, what do you feel like that looks like in the mission world? Because it's hard because it's like we stand at booths, we do, you know, emails and whatever and try to meet people. Like, how do we do that well? Or is it, it's our job to do it well in our churches? Like, where do, how do you integrate all of this into what you do? I think, I mean, I think my my heart for mobilization is walking with people and trying to trying to help them figure out where God is leading them. Um, honestly, I think it needs to start in the churches um, yeah. because like there's no, there's as a mobilizer, there's no way for us to, to really walk that development process. Mm-hmm. We're more, we're more trying to find the people who are developed. Yes. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think it, I think it looks like me, in my everyday life, in my church, leaning into the things that I'm preaching, um, and being part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then kind of stewarding people as they come through who have expressed interest in missions, like they might not be ready yet, but it's that mm-hmm. random text saying, Hey, I've been praying for you. What do you feel like God's stirring? Um, mm-hmm. those kinds of, goes, those kinds of things of building the relationship and the trust. And mm-hmm. yeah. Or maybe for us, even it's, doing a better I, job of walking alongside the churches. Yeah. Cause maybe and, uh, there's like, how do we make sure they're ready to consider missions? Yeah. And we're like, Oh, that's our thing. We can help you with that. Yeah. So I do maybe, think that there's yeah. an opportunity for um, like anybody coming back from short term mm. in any part of the world, but especially anybody coming back from short term in Africa, mm-hmm. because when you come back from Africa, mm. it's like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. Like God is doing amazing things. I'm so inspired by the the workers that we've got there. Like, like there's just so much and you come back on fire. Like, yes. Um, so what does it look like for us as, as an organization um, and as Jesus lovers to walk with people coming back well and saying, Hey, like, like whether you're a, a team lead or something like that, what does it, what does it look like for you to continue the relationship and continue casting vision and saying, Hey, we need you to come back. Mm-hmm. We, we, we want you, we've got a spot for you. We've got a perfect role for you. Um, like, I think that your voice in those moments is so loud um, mm-hmm. with, with people that are coming back from short term. That's how Carrie and I ended up in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. Um, it was because we went on a short-term summer thing as part of our college. And then the the team lead that was in Indonesia where we were at was basically hounding us afterwards saying, hey, we need you. We've got a spot for you. I've got a perfect role for you. Carrie, you can teach. Billy, mm-hmm. you can coach. Like, let's go. What are you waiting yeah. for? Like, And that that's that's what got us back. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does it look like as an organization for us to begin leaning into those conversations and stewarding that well? Um, and also like continuing to chase people even after they've fulfilled their short-term assignment or whatever it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Do you have 
any just final words just about walking with Gen Z, walking with Gen Z as people who are mission-minded, church leaders, anything on your heart you'd like to share before you wrap up? I think, I think my challenge for anybody that is listening is to identify two or three people that you can begin discipling and pouring your life into. Um, and, and as you do that, keep in mind, like they're hungry for vision. They're hungry to be seen. They're hungry to be known. They're struggling a lot more than they will let on. Mm. But as you begin to share your story and share your weaknesses and share your journey with God, I believe that those, those things will begin to come out and you will have an opportunity, um, to speak hope and to speak direction and, and all those things, um, into the life of the people that you're discipling. Hmm. That's good. Well, thanks Billy so much for hopping on and sharing your heart. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that God brought you to AIM. I'm thankful just even for myself of just your example of walking alongside people. Well, for those listening, we're going to link some resources. If you want to continue to think further about what it looks like for you to walk alongside the next generation. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Inlander podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. Inlander is a production of Africa Inland Mission, a Christian mission agency dedicated to outreach among Africa's remaining unreached peoples. For more about our work and how you can get involved, visit us at aimus.org or look for us on Facebook and Instagram. For additional information and resources, see the show notes. And thanks again for listening.